It's good to see everybody here with us today. Why don't you just say good morning to the person next to you on your pew. Greet them. I'm going to say the name of someone from the scriptures. And I'm just, I'm wondering what's going to come into your mind when I say his name. You're going to recognize his name, even if you hadn't been in church all that long. I guarantee you've heard of him. His name is Peter. And I found this uh, genuine photo of Peter. I don't know if you've seen it before. Just kidding. I think this is, was from some movie or miniseries about the Bible. Peter, maybe this is what Peter looked like. We don't know. Peter, when I mention his name, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think about the time that Peter stood at the edge of that boat as it was tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves, as full of fear and faith as any man can be at the same time. And Jesus is out there walking across the lake. And Peter says, Lord, if you want me to come to you, just give me the word. And Jesus said, come. And Peter takes that first initial step out of the boat and he begins making his way towards Jesus. He's walking on the water now. But then he notices the wind. And he sees the waves, and he gets scared. And so he begins to sink, and Jesus reaches out his hand and lifts him up, and he says, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Maybe that's the Peter that comes to your mind. Or maybe you think about the Peter who stared with wonder on that mountain as his master was transfigured before his very eyes, as Jesus was praying, and his face became more glorious, and his clothing became white as snow. And Peter was there along with James and John, but Peter's the only one with the guts to speak up and said, hey, Jesus, it's really good that we're here. You did a good thing by inviting us, Lord. How about I build a tent for you and for Moses who was up there and Elijah who appeared? And it was about at that time that a cloud came over the place and and promptly hushed Peter. Maybe it's that Peter that comes to mind. Or maybe you think about the Peter who sat in the upper room as Jesus washed the apostles' feet one by one, or maybe I should say two by two, as he went around that table the night before he would be crucified. And Peter said, you're going to wash my feet, Lord? You cannot wash my feet. (laughs) And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part with me. And Peter promptly changes his tune. And he says, well, if that's the case, Lord, then don't just wash my feet. Wash from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. Wash me all over because I want to follow you. Maybe that's the Peter that comes to mind. Or maybe it's the Peter who, after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, maybe it's the Peter who spoke boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, preached that first gospel sermon at the end of which 3,000 people came forward and were baptized into Christ. Peter. He's all over the story of the New Testament. What comes to mind when you hear his name? I'm going to share something with you about Peter that I bet didn't come to your mind. And maybe you want to take that as a little challenge. I don't know. If you are an astute Bible student, maybe this crossed your mind. Did you know... That Peter, among all the amazing things that he did in his leadership in the early church, did you know that Peter was also an elder? 
in the church. He says so in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says in his letter, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I was there, I saw it. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Maybe he's talking about the transfiguration there. He says, I want to offer some encouragement to the elders. You know, you know what? I am also an elder. So Peter, that Peter, the Peter who was called by Jesus Christ early in his ministry to be one of the 12 apostles, the Peter who followed Jesus all around Galilee and Judea, who watched Jesus perform all kinds of amazing miracles, who listened to Jesus preach and teach. The Peter who Jesus, Jesus said to him, on the rock of your faithfulness, I'm going to build my church, that Peter. The Peter who, on the day of Pentecost, preached that magnificent sermon. The Peter who was a leading figure in the early church, that Peter says, you know what? I'm also a fellow elder. Now that reminds me of a couple things. It brings a couple things to my mind. One is the humility of Peter. Peter's humility. Despite his credentials, despite his resume, he states, I'm a fellow elder. Now that doesn't sound very much like who the Roman Catholic Church claims is the very first pope. He says, no, I, I know that you know who I am. And, and I am an apostle, of course. And yes, I do have miraculous powers. But, but let me state to be clear that I'm just a fellow elder. It reminds me of Peter's humility. But it also reminds me of the high view that the early church and its leaders had toward elders. This office was very important held in high esteem from almost the very beginning of the church. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here because Peter writes first Peter excuse me. Peter writes first Peter about 30 years after after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there has been some development here. And so how did we get to this point? I want us to spend a couple minutes here looking at the progression of church leadership that got us here. First, as you know, it all starts with Jesus. And in this series, this sermon series, we spent our first sermon talking about how the church must be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, as Paul says in Colossians 1.18. He's the one who established the church. The church is built on and around Him. The church is not the church without Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus chose apostles who, along with other leaders with miraculous revelatory gifts, who would lead the church in its infancy. We read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that Paul even says that the apostles and prophets, those who could speak a fresh word directly from God, they form the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. But there's a point in the history here when this model eventually gives way to elders. Not overseeing the church universal, the church across the world, but overseeing local congregations. 
The first mention of this term elders is in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, when we see a mention of the elders at the church at Jerusalem, which was the very first congregation to ever exist. It had elders as early in uh, the, the biblical narrative as Acts 11. And then we see Paul and Barnabas on Paul's very first missionary journey as they're traveling and teaching the gospel and establishing churches. What's something that they do? The author of Acts tells us that in every congregation along the way, what did, what did they do, Paul and Barnabas? They appointed elders. Now this marks the last sermon in our Restore series. We've spent eight weeks talking about how we can become the church of God's intent, the church that we read about on the pages of the New Testament. We want to exemplify the church as God wanted it to exist today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. And today, the point that I want to make is, restoring the early church, if we're serious about that, and we have been, I hope we will continue to be, restoring the early church extends to and involves restoring early church leadership. We want the structure of the church, of our congregation, to match to emulate the structure of the earliest Christian churches who were under the guidance and the leadership of the apostles at that time, who were inspired by God, who witnessed the ministry of Jesus. That's the safest route. And so we are devoted to that. And, you know, just speaking frankly, it's one of the most obvious ways that the church has strayed from the example of the New Testament. Many churches and Christian groups today are under the authority of a a, a denominational board of directors uh, or a president or a pope. Uh, All kinds of layers of church hierarchy and bureaucracy. And the vision of the New Testament is much simpler than that. And we want to emulate that. The earliest Christian congregations, as we read in the New Testament, were led by elders. And these men had certain qualifications. You can read about them in places like Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. You can read about the kind of men who are to be selected to serve and to lead in this role. And so, because of that example, our local congregation has elders. I'm speaking of the Winchester Church of Christ, we have elders. We're blessed with godly men who serve here as elders. And if my history is correct, this congregation has had elders continuously for almost 100 years. And I don't say that to say, oh, good, you know, good for us. Aren't we so great? I, I'm just saying, when I say that, I, I just want us to remember that we're blessed here. Uh, Because there are a lot of congregations who do not currently have elders serving. And they do the very best that they can. And for these congregations, the the aim, the goal should always be, the intention should be the appointment of elders. And the raising up of young men and middle-aged men who can serve in that most important role in leading the Lord's church. We are under the authority of elders in this congregation, but our elders don't have any authority in any other congregation. And there's no other group of elders that has any spiritual authority here. 
This is what we mean when we say we are autonomous. We don't answer to anyone except Christ, uh, and we are not under anyone's spiritual authority here except our elders who serve here locally in our midst. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't cooperate and work with other like-minded congregations. We, do, we ought to. We do. That's, that's the vision of the early church as well, a spirit of cooperation, of working together. But we are autonomous in the sense that each congregation is self-governing under the leadership, the spiritual leadership and guidance of elders. So I think it's clear, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who's read their New Testament, even if they don't operate by this model, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who would say, no, I don't think the early church had elders. I mean, it's clear that they had elders. And so... You know, we should all be on the same page here that we should have elders, but what are elders supposed to do? What's this job all about? Well, let's go back to Peter. Peter the apostle. Peter the preacher. Peter the fellow elder. Let's see what he has to say. Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter 5. This is where we're going to be for the remainder of the hour. 1 Peter 5, I'm going to start with a couple phrases in verse 2. We know we ought to have elders, but what are these guys supposed to be doing? Well, first, Peter says, let me exhort you elders. I'm a fellow elder. Let me encourage you. Shepherd the flock. That's number one. Be a shepherd. And it's understandable that Peter would use this imagery. Because this was commonplace in this culture. This was an agrarian, nomadic, maybe not at this time, but going further back into the Old Testament, there were a lot of shepherds. And people would have been familiar with the kind of work that they did in keeping watch over their flock of sheep. And so this is an image that appears time and again in the Old Testament. To compare God with His people and God's appointed leaders as they lead His people, Peter says, let me tell the elders something. Shepherd the flock. And I imagine, this is just speculation on my part, that when Peter offers this instruction, memories come flooding into Peter's mind when he thinks about being with his Lord, with his Master Jesus in the flesh. I wonder if when he says here, shepherd the flock, if he's thinking about when Jesus talked about how he's the good shepherd. And how when Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. And they follow me. And I know their names. Each and every one of my sheep, I know their names. And you know what? I love my sheep so much that I'd be willing to lay down my life for my sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I wonder if Peter thought about that. I wonder also if he thought about the time after Jesus had been brought back to life. He was in his resurrection body, but before he ascended into heaven. When Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord. Of course I love you. Then what? What does Jesus say to Peter? Feed my lambs. And he says it again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, then tend my sheep. 
Peter, do you love me? And at, at this point, the scriptures say, Peter's getting a little exasperated with Jesus. Yes, Lord, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. And now we see, towards the end of Peter's life, that he is in the role that God has ordained for that to happen. Peter says, I'm a fellow elder now. I'm a fellow shepherd. I'm a fellow pastor. And I'm doing just what Jesus asked me to do before he ascended into heaven. He told me to feed his sheep. He told me to tend the flock. That's what I'm doing. Peter says, let me tell you elders something. Shepherd your flock. And it speaks to the tender care and concern that elders are to have for the church. A care and concern that reflects the care and concern that the chief shepherd has for his flock. He knows their names. They know his voice. He loves them so that he's willing to die for them. That's the kind of care that shepherds, that elders, are to aim to have for their flocks. This whole this imagery is just beautiful in the way that it reminds us of the tender care and concern that a shepherd is to have with his flock. But it also, it also reminds us that sometimes tough love is necessary in tending to the flock. Tough love. Sometimes our elders have to do things and say things, not because difficult truths, not because they're an enemy, but because they're a friend to us, because they love us. Paul in Acts chapter 20 was having a conference with the Ephesian elders. And he says, look, you have got to keep guard over the flock because there are going to be ravenous wolves that are going to come from without and from within. Men who rise up teaching twisted, distorted things. And it's your job to tell them, no, sir, not among my flock. And so sometimes elders have to practice tough love in order to maintain the purity of the church. And in order for us to continue receiving sound teaching. And sometimes, if a member continues to persist in a sinful lifestyle and refuses to give that up and refuses to repent, sometimes it's necessary for elders to withdraw fellowship from such a member. It's a tough job being an elder. It's tough being a shepherd. Watching over your flock all the time. Caring enough about them to, to sometimes make difficult calls. Peter says, let me tell my fellow elders something. It's your job to shepherd the flock. But he also says, it's your job to exercise oversight. So, shepherd the flock and exercise oversight. I believe that the New Testament teaches that the elders are the highest authority at the local congregation. Apart from Christ, of course, the chief shepherd. Below Christ. I believe that's the model that is set forth that we need to try to emulate. And so, our elders have the authority to exercise oversight. And some of us bristle at that. We balk at that. Because we don't like this whole idea of submission. But if there were not systems of submission to leadership in this world, everything would just fall apart. And the one that God has ordained to exist in His church is this model of elders and the congregation submitting to that leadership. Now, 
What does this involve? Exercising oversight. Well, it involves, among many other things, it must involve delegation. Good elders delegate. They delegate to the deacons who serve, which we could have a whole other sermon about the role of deacon that's laid out in the New Testament. They delegate to the preachers, to uh, their ministers who serve in their midst, and to many other servants and leaders throughout the church. Good elders delegate, especially in a church of this size, our elders cannot. I mean, it's physically impossible for them to do all the work that God has called us to do. And so good elders delegate, not to shirk their responsibilities, but to free themselves up to act as shepherds, to tend to their flocks. It's not a whole lot unlike the apostles who in Acts 6 said, there are widows, an increasing number of widows in the church who have physical needs. And so we're going to pick some godly good men who can tend to those needs because the ministry of the word, of teaching the word, and of prayer is just too important for us to give up. And so we're going to divide and conquer. We're going to spread out the responsibilities so that nobody um, falls between the cracks. We're going to get the job done by delegating leadership. That's what good elders do. Listen, people are hungry for good leadership. The church needs her elders. We need our elders as the sheep, as the flock, to lead with courage I think about a story I heard about an elder at a congregation back in the 1960s. A time when it was inappropriate for men to come to church without a suit and tie on, or at the very least, with a sport coat and a tie, especially if you were up here leading in the Lord's Supper. But one Sunday morning, a member showed up, and he wasn't wearing a jacket. And maybe that seems silly to you, but at this time, it was a big deal. This guy was a new member. He wasn't aware of the protocol. And so the other men who were serving, they put their heads together and said, what are we going to do about him and his lack of a jacket? And they thought about it for a little bit. They consulted with an elder of the church. And he thought about it. And he gathered all the men together and he said, men, today we're going to serve without jackets. And he told them to take off their jackets in order to make this new brother not feel awkward, to make him feel more comfortable. Now that's leadership. And that's what the church needs. That's what we desire. We need men, we need elders to make bold, difficult choices that will help us look beyond petty arguments about tradition and lead us to fulfill the greater mission of Christ. We need their leadership. We need them to oversee our journey, and our forward momentum as Christ is formed in us. That's what they're supposed to be doing. Shepherding. Overseeing. And how are they supposed to do it? Well, according to Peter, he has three things here about how elders are to shepherd and oversee. Number one, not under compulsion, but willingly. Willingly. Not because they have to, but because they want to serve. Because their Lord is a servant. And they want to be like Him. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not because they like notoriety. Or not because they're greedy for any other personal benefit that might come from serving in this role. 
but because they want to serve, just like their Lord. And not domineering over those in your charge, not leading in a condescending sort of way, but being an example. Sort of like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the way an elder leads. And a church will never excel the level of its leadership. And so we need elders to show us the way by demonstrating what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ. That is what leadership is about. Not bossing people around. Not domineering. But setting the example. Elders are men who have learned to follow Christ before being chosen to lead. They are men who have spent a lifetime walking with the King before they show others what it looks like to walk with the king. These are the kind of elders the church needs. But there's something that these elders need from us. They need us to submit to them. They need us to submit to their leadership. But you may say, well, I've been a Christian longer than our elders. Well, I bet I know more about the Bible than our elders. Well, I bet I am more generous than the elders. None of that matters. The elders are the elders for a reason. We as the flock submit to their leadership, to the godly example that they set. That's what we need to do. That's what Scripture calls us to do. Here in this passage, chapter 5, verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, submit to their leadership. And I think also about Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. And submit to them. This is the way it's supposed to work, church. They'll do their part. You do yours. And let me say also that our submission enables them. It empowers them to lead willingly. You want your elders to lead with excitement and passion, willingly, not out of compulsion? Then submit to them. Respect them. Get to work under their oversight. Get busy doing the work of the church. Our submission will enable them to serve eagerly. In our passage, Peter looks forward to the return of his chief shepherd. And wouldn't he? Wouldn't Peter of all people be excited about the return of his Lord? The Lord that he spent three years following around, getting to know intimately. The Lord who said to Peter on more than several occasions. Peter, you, James, and John, you come with me. Leave the rest behind. Don't you know Peter was excited about the return of the chief shepherd? Other shepherds, other elders are supposed to be just as excited. Our elders here, just as Peter was excited about the coming of of Christ the King, so our elders ought to be excited too. And just as Peter was pointing the way towards Christ, that's the job of, the, of our elders, to point to Christ, to remind us He's coming back. Your chief shepherd is coming back, so get excited, but get ready. And if you need to, you need to repent. And if you haven't yet followed Jesus Christ, that's what you need to do, because He is coming back. And when He does, and if the elders under his oversight have done their jobs, then according to Peter, 
those elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you know what? When he returns, so will their sheep, according to James chapter 1, verse 12, will receive the crown of life. I want us to pray for our elders. I want us to encourage our elders. They need it. And today, one of the greatest gifts that you could give our elders, but most importantly, our chief shepherd, is to come and make him the Lord of your life through being washed in that watery grave of baptism to have your sins forgiven. Why don't you do that today? If you're struggling in any other way and you need the prayers of the church, come right now as we stand and sing.